Welcome to the Rough Puffs. I'm your host, Andrea Bennett. And I'm Kim Fu. This is a podcast where we rewatch and discuss the Great British Bake Off. We're up to Series 5, Episode 6, European Cakes Week. Continental Cakes? Continental Cakes? <laughs> yeah. You know, the continent, the place that's just a short swim away from the UK. <laughs> So I'm pretty sure the version that I watch for this week is a version I've never seen before. Like, is a more complete version than what they have on Netflix and I would guess probably CBC Gem, too. Yeah. There was, like, a little skit of them making fun of Eurovision at the beginning that I swear I have never seen before. <gasps> I didn't get to see that. Ugh, heartbreak. Sue does, like, a really, really specific accent in the course of this skit. It's, like, a Dutch person trying to sound American. It it was very... I was like, I have definitely never seen this before. I would have remembered this. (laughs) I'm jealous. Should I be jealous? Is it something to be jealous about? A little bit. A little bit. I'm I'm impressed at Sue and Mel's range of absurd and specific accents. Oh, yeah. I watched... Oh, geez. I'm forgetting the name. I watched some sort of, like, quiz, quiz show that Mel was on. And um, she brought out lots of baked goods over the course of the quiz show. She's very funny and very smart, and I like her a lot. But anyway, European continental cakes. So the first thing that they make is a yeasted cake, Mm -hmm. uh, which we're told. And I mean, we've learned this on the show before, I think, that yeasted cakes are the oldest cakes in the world. Baking powder was not invented. Yeah, until the 19th century. I mean, anytime they've talked about wedding cakes and things like that, they always started with the yeast of cake and then kind of like a candy shell on top or whatever. Does it actually sound like the world's most exciting cake? Although I guess it would have been fine before any other kinds of cakes exist. It sounds like bread soaked in syrup was the, yeah. was the way we used to do it. Which, yeah, I mean, fair enough. Um, so we've got sort of a range of cakes. We've got a savarin, a few savarins, some sort of babka influence cakes, a kugel and google hops. <laughs> I kept looking at those in my notes being like, do I have that right? There's one google yeah. hop and one google hop. Like, yeah. <laughs> kugel hop and google hop linked to the same Wikipedia article. Oh. Highly suspicious. Yeah. Well... Well, I mean, then if we mess it up, then it's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think one is German and one's from a different country. Anyway. Popular in a wide region of Central Europe, particularly in Southern Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Croatia, Hungary, Bosnia, Serbia, Slovakia, Slovenia, Czech Republic, oh. and Poland. Okay. Lots of places. So Lewis chooses a super cool bunt pan for this that kind of makes like a diamond a sunken diamond pattern around the cake and it looks really gorgeous and he places almonds and like every other diamond to make sort of like even more of a pattern as we all know i find apple desserts boring but i would eat this because it looks pretty it looks pretty spectacular but uh in the end they they like it they uh talk about it very positively so the texture is good it's not too chewy Mary says it's good that he had he had that honeyed apple thing on top and the arranged in a yeah. beautiful little flower, uh, because it the cake needed the moisture. Um, but yeah, his looked very precise. His looked really it hit, the whole process seemed very seamless for Louis. When Mary says that it needed the moisture from the top, I would say that that puts the cake in like the you know an A grade area, not an A plus. Maybe like there's mm. some if there's an implication that like without X this would have been dry. 
then maybe the cakes they seemed to like the most had a cream element to them and i think that maybe his was just missing that like he went really old school with it like i'm just doing the the soaking in syrup and he had a calvados syrup um like I think he went, he went sort of classic with it. He did, and you know, it's it's modern days. We have we have ready access to cream, and yeah. I mean to baking powder. But yeah, Chetna makes an orange savarin with cinnamon cream, and then she bathes hers in syrup and has you know has a pistachio and cinnamon cream to go in there. Um, her mold for the cake, Mel says it looks like um a piles cushion. What's the Hemorrhoid, a hemorrhoid, hemorrhoid cushion. Yeah, <laughs> she she whispers it for the sake of privacy. Chetna's like flabbergasted by that comment. Like she just doesn't yeah. know where to go. <laughs> She's like, uh, okay, moving along. Um, she overfills her tin. It's basically filled up to the top of the tin, which is like too high, and a variety of things happen. And hers is shaped kind of like a an eight when it should be a zero it's it's cinched in like it has a little waist i actually think what happened is well what paul says happened at the end is that she put on the syrup when the cake was still too warm um Uh. so it absorbed more syrup than it was going to but what i noticed is that she actually fully saturated the cake right in fact she explained to the camera that that's what you're supposed to do and i was like i don't think that's what you're supposed to do she said you're supposed to add syrup until it cannot absorb any more syrup like when you try to pour more syrup on it it just runs off because the cake has become (laughs) super saturated and i was like i don't think that sounds like a good idea And then when it started to, you know, when it started to do that, when it started to sag and create this little waste, I was like, I think that was probably too much. (laughs) Yeah, there is too much of a good thing. Kate's is a pecan, chocolate, and sour cherry yeast cake. Like, Patrice is the one that's babka influence. This set of flavors sounds delicious to me. But Paul says her choice of flavors for the inside is wrong because the chocolate is dry. But Mary loves the flavor. So I'm confused and I want to eat it. I, okay. So I can understand how those are delicious flavors. Like if you just put in my hand dried cherries, dried pecans and chocolate and I put it in my mouth, I'd be like, this is great. Um, But I can see how having all dry components in like a dry cake, that is like something that isn't inherently a dry cake because it's essentially just a bread, um, would be kind of not great texturally, like why you would want something uh, creamy or soft or saucy to kind of make yeah, them bind together. Yeah, because she does a chocolate drizzle, right? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Martha also does chocolate. She does dark chocolate and almond liqueur. Hers is also a savarin. They like hers. Um, all of the elements that are sweet that she adds works work for them. Um, and, and she gets a well-done Martha from Paul. Mm-hmm. Which is always nice. At the very beginning of the episode, uh, she explained that she adds butter and chocolate chips after the first proof Mm. um, and then proofs it a second time. And Paul looks so aghast at this, but nothing, it's totally fine. Like there's like no harm, no foul, right? Her her cake comes out great. Something I thought was interesting is they talk about really liking the decoration um, when to me, the decoration was extremely basic, right? Like she just, and like, like, I feel like I was missing something. Cause from my perspective, it's like, she popped it out of the mold. She drizzled the chocolate on it, like dark chocolate and white chocolate, um, in those streaks and then put some slivered almonds on it. And then they yeah. were like, and you know, and they were like, oh, it looks, it looks beautiful. And I was like, does it? I was like, that's like one of the only things I've ever seen on the show that I felt like I could do that. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think that Martha's strong point is not actually decoration and so they may 
I don't know. They may have just been sort of giving her a thumbs up for something that she did make look aesthetically pleasing because it's not typically her strong suit. Mm. <laughs> Maybe that's... <laughs> does that mean? Grading Martha on a curve. I don't know. It's been a long day slash week. The flavor does sound really good. The chocolate and almond flavors appear in in multiple forms. Like there's like almond essence and also almond liqueur um, and then a variety of different chocolates. And it sounds like the flavors would be very deeply integrated in a way that I does sound delicious. Nancy also has a Savarin and she does a rum punch one with coconut cream and like banana, mango, blah, blah, blah. Passion fruit orange. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is it just me, or did Brits love passion fruit? Have we talked about this on a previous episode? Maybe we have. I don't know if it's Brits or if it was just happened to be trendy in this season. Like, passion fruit was really in at the time that they were filming this season, um, which I would believe. Because I, I sort of remember that, of it also being, like, the era that, like, acai bowls made their, like, mainland appearance. Oh, yeah. oh, uh, and it was, like, just passion fruit everywhere. Um, the decorations on Nancy's were you know i thought they were kind of hilarious like i thought they were sort of intentionally cheesy and kind of funny yeah. right she had um like a tropical drink umbrellas and then also a little bit of tinsel on a stick and tinsel on a stick and then she had like just the white uh like wave shaped blobby icing and then like little cherry bits like like it it was kind of cheesy but it it did look like cohesive and intentional and kind of funny to me. Like it did look like a rum punch cake. Uh, but I was not surprised that Mary did, you know, Mary was super not into it. Mary does not like inedible decoration. Yes. Um, yes. To me, it looked like something someone would have served at a New Year's party in the 80s, which is an aesthetic. Nancy calls it a bit 70s. Oh, a bit 70s. Yeah. Living in Canada, everything came later. I could see so. like a like a very young person, like a Gen Z person, doing this cake now as like a, oh, yeah. a throwback, throwback, throwback cyclical kind of thing. Um, Nancy's cute. also sinks uh, from being overproofed. Yeah. Um, and there's this moment where she thinks that she'll be able to cover it up. You know, like where she flips her cake over and she's like, you know, it looks pretty good on that side. <laughs> Maybe it'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, but Paul, you know, discovers the ruse in the end. Yeah. This is like a rare misstep for Nancy. She kind of mucks this one up quite a bit. It still tastes really good, apparently. But you can't taste the banana, which I would say at this point, yeah, I'm a proponent of not including bananas and dessert. Paul says like you get a tiny bit of banana at the end, you know, like like maybe it's there. And I think that's probably all you want in something in in for a rum punch, tropical rum punch effect, right? When you have all these other fruit flavors happening and a hundred milliliters of rum, apparently. If we're talking tropical fruits, I don't care for a banana in my special dessert. Like I would like passion fruit and mango more than I would like a banana, I guess. I think I would too, but JP really loves banana and dessert. So yeah. as a result, I have eaten many and made many. Mm. And so, and I, I feel like it's still not something that would ever be my first choice, but I have been won over to it as a result. Like a, bana- a banana Nutella crepe is always the winner. Oh, uh, yes, yes. That I, would, that I would say is breakfast. So <laughs> I, and, and banana sauster, like, like if you have um, an oatmeal cookie base, and then bananas that you set on fire with rum and caramel and if this if that's an option if that's a dessert menu option and it's like the only gluten-free option on the dessert menu and so the choice is to have no dessert or have that i'm choosing no dessert wow yeah i know 
Richard also has a rare misstep. So he makes it the Google Hup, Google Hup with an orange glaze. Um, he does mixed fruits and mixed peel and um, he's trying to figure out if he's going to dust icing sugar over top or if he's going to do a syrup. And eventually he decides to do a syrup. It's a very thick syrup and then it crystallizes on top. And uh, yeah, then he has that yeast not fully proved uh, split thingy showing up at the bottom of his cake. So, you know, yeah. minor minor nightmares abound. It didn't look good. It looked very dry. It had no shine. It, it had nothing about it that called to you that made you want to eat it, I would say. Like, I feel like if you saw it, you'd be like, that looks like food. Yeah. Oh, jeez. There's an interesting moment after when they're sort of dige- digesting the judge's comments. Um, Kate says that she likes the constructive criticism. They give her some feedback on hers. Oh, yeah. Well, just like that the, she should have thought through the fillings a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that was kind of cool. Kate is extremely reserved. I like her. But it's interesting to get some, like, windows into Kate. What's, what's going on back there behind all the beautiful composed curls? <laughs> it goes right from Kate saying um, that she appreciates receiving constructive criticism to Nancy saying, you know, you can't move forward if you're looking back. And I was yeah. like... You know, like, what what strong, well-adjusted people they, these yeah. contestants are. They know what they need. Well, I mean, I know Nancy Nancy knows what she did wrong. Yes, yes. But but I just mean, I feel like they, bo- they both had a very healthy attitude going into sure. the technical. Um, yeah. what's, so another thing that I think I have never seen is the historical segment in this episode, um, which I'm going to guess either. you also didn't have. Mm-mm. So it, it, t- it was in... Uh, Jutland, which was like a part of Denmark that t- that borders Germany and was invaded by Germany, and then like in 1864, and then so for a while there was like like you couldn't be Danish in this region, like you couldn't do oh, Danish dear. things and like speak the Danish language, and so they had these like they called them unions, but they were like clubs that would meet up to like have political discussions and like feel Danish, um, and alcohol was out loud, so they would eat cake, but they would eat cake for like three to four hours. <laughs> and they would talk politics and eat cake for three to four hours and drink like a, like a shit ton of coffee. Um, and this is like a tradition that like Danish people continue. Um, and one of the things the historian talked about is, is you sort of bully each other into eating more cake. Like, you know, you're being like, you haven't tried this one yet. Have you like, you, you know, you should, I should, I should oh, everyone do brings more. cake. It's everyone like a cake, cake buffet. Oh my everyone god! Everyone brings cake, and it's like there's like social status things in bringing the best cake, and there's also like a natural order in which you try to eat the cakes, where you like start out with the driest cakes, and then you move on to the sort of creamy filled cakes, and then you end with the cookie like cakes. But I'm gonna be in a cake club. I okay, but eating cake for four hours with seven cups of coffee. Seven. Ooh. Well, arguing about the, your Danish liberation. I mean, that sounds pleasant invigorating like a good saturday i don't know i feel like you'd be you'd be pretty you'd be very wired from sugar and coffee i'd probably go get in a brawl with a german person (laughs) (laughs) i'm currently trying to avoid getting in brawls or going to seek them so i can't will says i can't and i work in journalism well no four hours of cake for you then oh yeah I'll just make my custards and then 
I scrambled a custard today for the first time in my life. When you messaged me about it, I suggested turning it into a sweet omelet in the Japanese manner. And I said I'd already eaten it. <laughs> already chucked it in the bin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. Anyway, speaking of uh, technically incredibly difficult, I mean, custard's not technically incredibly difficult, but the technical is this week. It's like insanely difficult. It's mm-hmm. so hard and it's a, it's a Mary choice and it's evil of Mary. I mean, yes. to the extent that Paul like cackles appreciatively. Yes. He, yeah. He says, I think you're cruel, Mary. So they have to make a princess torta, which is three layers of sponge and it's filled with, filled with creme pat as well as jam and then there's a dome of whipped cream on top, and then a blanket of smooth green marzipan, and then a little rose plunked on top with a bit of sort of chocolate squiggles swirl. Yeah, yeah. like just for kicks, mm-hmm. <laughs> just just to make them do some, something extra. Because it's not like it's picking up on another part of the thing that you're replicating on the outside. You know, it's just like random chocolate. Mm -hmm. And they get two and a quarter hours to do it, which is, quite frankly, not a lot of time for that. It has 26 ingredients and 14 stages, we're told. Um, And all of them are running around the whole time and like kind of laughing at themselves and about the absurdity of what is happening. So the camera cuts between each of them very quickly explaining what they're doing in a technical way uh in a way that i think is it makes you really like all of them you know like they're all good at explaining it to a degree that you could cut together footage of them this way like it's like the technical explanation version of those um like inspiring political commercials where everyone's reading the same script but it's just that these this group of people has such good technical knowledge that you could do this i noticed that too like they're talking about how to make a creme pat they're talking about how to make the sponge and they're talking about it in such a way that, like, you could do it at home. Um, and there's another funny moment with Kate where she says, my heart is beating. Like, not fast. Not, you know, like a lot. Like, not even, she does not say, like, my heart is beating. Like, there's no addition to it. It's just, like, I have noticed that I have a heart. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm willing to say on the matter. It's a hard, it is a really hard technical And it's interesting to see who does well and who does not. So Chetna, um, while it's happening, it seems like she's really behind. Like every time, like at two different points, they, you know, the camera turns to Chetna and Chetna says like, I won't have time to finish it. Um, and then, like, in the in the cooling stage, she's just like, I won't have time to freeze it. And then when everyone else is laying the marzipan across, Chetna is still doing, like, creme pat and jam. Like, Chetna's, like, a full step behind everyone else. Um, but yeah. then at the, at the end, in the judging... She comes in second. Second. She comes in second. And it's, like, it's very surprising because she was behind the whole time. It's extremely surprising. Something I noticed this episode, and maybe they do this all the time and I've just never noticed it before, is, you know, there's this music they use for, like, the stress montages. <laughs> like yeah. There's, um, there's music they use when things are going really fast and everyone's really stressed out. This time, they played, like, a bassoon solo version of that song. <laughs> Well, I did happening. not notice that. It, and it like made me feel so much more stressed out because it's just a bassoon playing these like same two notes back and forth that don't progress, like making you feel more and more <laughs> agitated. It was very funny. I was like, do they normally use this bassoon solo version? And I've just never noticed. I guess I'll just see next time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and uh, the dome part's hard too because 
Well, their cake has to be cool enough that the whipped cream won't melt at all. And then, yeah, getting the marzipan really smooth is hard, too. Kate really struggles with it, and so she has... <laughs> instead of having something she drapes over top, she kind of has, like, a ring and then, like, a hat that obviously Paul notices mm-hmm. immediately. Goes poking around in there. Kate also made her cake twice, right? Because the first time the sponge just didn't rise. <laughs> Nancy notes that she like normally buys marzipan, which I think it's like, yeah, <laughs> like why, yeah, why who wouldn't, would, who wouldn't? Yeah. I, yeah, but they make them make the marzipan for this one. I do love a marzipan. I bet I would like this. Do you think you would like this cake? Too mushy? Is no, there anything yeah. crunchy See, in it? See, I think it's too mushy. I think it's too mushy and too sweet. Like there's nothing about it that stands out, right? It's, it's. Technical complexity, like aside, flavor-wise, it's just marzipan, whipped cream, creme pat, jam, and sponge. You know, like that's actually going to be very flat sweet all told, I think. Yeah. You know what I learned about Mary? She had polio when she was a child. Where did you learn that? Uh, I was Googling something else related Mm. to this episode. And you know, there are those question and answers that come up, like, what illness did Mary Berry have? And I... I clicked on it because I thought, she's getting older. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought maybe she was, con- like, sick now. And I was like, oh, my God, Mary Berry. Yeah. And then and then I was like, Mary Berry had polio as a child. As a result, her left arm is not as strong. Like, there's just some. I think I did know about her having a weakness in one arm. I didn't know that it was from polio. It must be tough to have lived, for everyone who lived through that era and saw, like, the wonder of a vaccination yeah. yeah yeah and then to have to be going through all this all over again yeah anyway moving along <laughs> should we go to andrea's baking corner let's do it This week I made an orange savarin and I made a Paul Hollywood recipe. I got to use my new bunt pan, which is a Nordicware heritage bunt pan that has like really deep ridges and is super cool. And this Paul Hollywood recipe, it has you make the savarin, it has you make the syrup, it has you make a Chantilly cream, it has you um, segment oranges um and like prep fruit whatever it has you make a tempered chocolate disc onto which you are supposed to write in melted white chocolate savarin and then it has you make caramel shards but i did not make the caramel shards because when i looked at the picture of paula hollywood so i was like this is gild and the lily buddy this mm. is ridiculous <laughs> and also i'm not gonna eat those caramel shards i do not enjoy like a hard caramel like that mm-hmm. so i deleted i deleted them i cheated and in fact i definitely will make a cake like this again in the future but there's no reason for the chocolate disc like the the only reason for the chocolate disc is to be like I, just sh- just just showing off and in fact i half asked mine so i'm with you on the caramel shards but i kind of like the chocolate disc i think there's something 
a little festive about it. Um, yeah. I like the, you know, in the end, you wrote uh, Sync on it for Sinclair rather yeah. than Severin. Um, and I like that a lot. Like, I like, I think if it were a birthday cake, I would love to have like my name on it, or I guess happy birthday is kind of a, kind of a taller. Oh, yeah. Um, and I like the idea of if, if it was for a kid, the idea of like, you know, fighting over who gets the chocolate disc or like the birthday kid gets the chocolate disc. To me, it's, it's a, a fun extra element in a way that, yeah, caramel shards, it's just nobody wants to eat that. Yeah, that's fair. The chocolate disc, I don't know if the chocolate I have like tempers and I also didn't bother to properly temper it. In fact, it's sort of got like a little bit of bloom. It's like as bad as you can be with a chocolate disc. But I did manage to write sink, I think, half decently. I think it still looks fun. Um, it does look like a little bit like a cookie, like a dark chocolate yeah. cookie. Yeah. Is I think what one would naturally guess. I sort of want to try a not alcoholic version, but I don't exactly know what makes it a savarin if it's if a savarin is just like a yeast cake soaked in syrup and i use the technique that martha uses which is to pour about half the syrup into the bunt pan and then put the cake back into the bunt pan and then drizzle syrup mm-hmm. on top paul had this other cockamamie way where you're just like after you do the top soak you're supposed to put it flip the bottom onto a different and i was just like come on man we're not, <laughs> not doing we're not doing all that sorry um when we talked about this before uh you mentioned thinking that you might want to make it lemon flavored instead uh and i suggested using limoncello as yeah. a soaking element i think limoncello could be good it i have grand marnie at my house now that i don't know what to do with actually this is true of several different kinds of alcohol like liqueurs that I now have at my house that I've used for baking that I don't really drink. I think a Grand Marnier for flambéing things can be good if you felt like doing that. You know, just tip the pan, light it on fire. I made quite a fire on my stove. I don't know, a year or two doing what? ago now. <laughs> Making popcorn. <laughs> How? <laughs> I had the two test kernels in and then um mm-hmm. i wrote a poem about i just i just like got distracted <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't hear them pop and then i took the lid off because i was like they have to have popped and not only had they popped like I, it was just like a supercharged flame ball <laughs> did you lose your eyebrows um no, actually, oddly enough, but it singed, like, there's, there's, you know, that, like, flame singe, like, gr- black powder that gets when you really have a little kitchen fire? That was on the underside mm. of my microwave, and... <sighs> Can't trust poets to do anything. <laughs> I mean, I knew enough to, I just put the lid back on, right? So, mm. I did, after I put the lid back on, I did do something you're not exactly supposed to do, which is, like, I took the pan that once it had the lid back on outside just like put it on my deck like you're banished (laughs) you need to think about what you've done i think you can do that where we live because everything is always damp like everything is is like soaking wet like you like i agree you wouldn't want to do that on your your dry deck in arizona but but here i mean everything is just sopping wet it's totally fine i guess the idea is like you could trip and fall and then just like create an oil fire in the whole rest of your also house. true also true but um 
Uh, yeah, the saffron was good. Uh, the bundt cake, it was, her bundt pan was super fun to use. Um, when you make a yeasted cake in a bundt pan, you don't get, like, extremely clean lines on the frill parts, just because of the nature of the yeast bubbly guys. But it still looked pretty sort of striking. It doesn't look fuzzy at all to me. Like, it... Like, maybe this just in pictures, but in pictures, it's like, I don't see how it could get sharper. Like, it doesn't look fuzzy. It's not the general idea of the shape. It is more or less exactly the shape. Like, it looks like Louis, you know, yeah. uh, in the terms of the precision of the shape. Yeah. Um, I think Lu- I noticed, or I recognized Louis' shape because I <laughs> sent... Yeah, you considered buying yeah, that pan. I, did, I remember. I you sent me the listing. Yeah. There is also this one... There are different ways of that you could, different direction directions you can go in for bunt pans, and some of them are like roses. You can kind of go in like an organic direction, but mm. my personal feeling is that the geometric sharp lines directions are the best directions to go in. I spent a lot of time looking at bunt pans and the resultant cakes. The one you have that is like a a stacked swirl, um, I think is the best. Like, I think it's the most versatile one. Like if I was going to buy one, that's what I would pick. I think the one that Louis uses, and I've seen other ones too, that are even more elaborate, like smaller diamond patterns or like more irregular diamond patterns. Um, and I think those are more, those are particular and kind of finicky. And I think, like they they would look really bad if they weren't a hundred percent precise. Like if even like oh, I had yeah. one tiny corner stuck, it would look bad. Um, and I don't think it suits kind of everything you want to do. I think the one that you have is the versatile one that makes sense to yeah, me. Yeah, it is a bit more versatile. You also, I mean, it is a bit of a pain in the ass to to um to prep the pan before you get the batter and like buttering it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then I didn't think about that. Probably washing it, but I did not follow up with Will to ask about that part. <laughs> Yeah, that would be really annoying. I think getting in all the little crevices. He mentioned it when he saw me buttering it. And then I was like, we shall never speak of this again. <laughs> the show supper this week is a Dobos tort. I thought about making a Dobos tort actually. Um, they get five hours to make it because it's a real pain in the ass, long ass bake. It's traditionally a bunch of thin layers of cake um, that have icing of a sort in between them, and and then the whole cake has, like, caramel decoration. They take a variety of different approaches to this, and a pretty wide variety of success versus failure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This seems very annoying to me, like, watching all of them have their, like, factory line of tiny cake layers going into the oven they have to be constantly monitoring and then pulling pulling them out and putting them back in it just seems it it, yeah it again seems like this kind of old-fashioned concept that i like we have moved behind Mm -hmm. like i can imagine how this was necessary in like a specific fuel crisis situation (laughs) like i'm going to i'm going to make a cake by stacking these thin cakes because like this is the only thing we're able to make right now this is how i'll achieve a full-size cake it also sort of felt like um there's another like a a crepe cake where you stack like crepes and yeah and yeah that feels like it might make more sense to me than 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 this in some ways I did not I mean I thought about making one I okay here's the other thing I thought about making one taking a um a baking sheet 
or like an angel food cake uh, style pan and then cutting it in four and then you all of a sudden have four layers immediately. I feel like that's like not in the spirit of the Dobas <laughs> tort, right? Like I, I think like like a Chetna stacked her individual layers of cake into a pan with parchment in between and then baked it that way. Yeah. Uh, but they were nevertheless still separate layers of cake and not cake that had been, uh, you know, like horizontally sliced. And I feel like that's important to the the brief, like that that's. Like, I think if you tried to do it the conventional cake way, you would have gotten shit from Paul and Mary about it for some uh, reason. Like, they would have identified the crumb and been against it. Yeah, although they do, but they do often cut, they're cutting them out anyway. Or I think Richard talks about how he's going to cut. But then his apparently looks sad. Chetna, I mean, so Chetna put in her tests, figured out that if she put it on parchment paper and into a tin then it would keep the layers an even thickness, like, between the center and the edges. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's the only thing I can sort of see happening, potentially, with with my cheat version. But it just means that, like, say you want, like, eight layers of cake, you only had to do two, like, two goes into the oven. I think you could still tell. I think the texture would be different. Like, the crumb of something that's baked in the middle it would mm. be different than something that was baked its own top and bottom. Yeah, you might be right. So I th- think the two big elements that they focus on in the brief were this multi-layered, like, that it had to have lots of layers. The layers had to be really clean and really distinct. Um, and then the sugar work. Like, I think I didn't understand how important the sugar work was until the end. Um, at the end, they were talking about how that was, like, a really important feature of the brief and how, like, that ends up being something that makes the judging kind of difficult. Like, Louis uh, makes... he So he does, like, a replica of this place this like tourist attraction in his town that his wife really likes, um, the cage on the Rocky Hill. Mm. And he makes four sides in sugar work. That's this very complex shape so that when you put all four together, it builds a little tower. And watching him draw that in caramel, he looks really steady. He looks very casual about it. And it's so complicated. It's unbelievable. And then when he's done, he makes a little flag. And the flag is not like a rectangle. The flag is like the wavy shape yeah. of a flag, you know, flapping in the wind. It's incredible. Like, and then he's done so early, he has time to clean his station. Yeah. Like everybody else in the shot is, you know, freaking out, trying to do their last minute things. And he's, that's what he chooses to do. He cleaned up yeah. really nicely. He's like spraying the counter. He does not sit and have a tea and just like, chill out, like pause in the mess for a minute, which is what I a hundred percent would do. He's like, he's, he's such a good guy. I was like, I was kind of in love with, with Louis in yeah. that moment. Unfortunately, the judges say, they say that it's beautiful, and Mary says it's what I call a showstopper. But it apparently is sort of lacking any clear flavor, which is a bummer. Mm-hmm. Richard's, as I mentioned, looks a mess, but he makes a sponge sugar nest that looks cool, and he whips caramel into his chocolate buttercream and he has several elements of sugar work so he has the the sponge sugar nest and then he also makes a little sugar bird he actually gets to make it twice because he's like not satisfied with how modeled the first one looks he makes trees too right yeah and he has trees and he has uh, shards as well of like a some kind of brittle along the bottom like he did a whole bunch of sugar work stuff um but but the cake in the middle was not good unfortunate and like kind of 
toppled looking and kind of dry despite the icing being so weird and droopy which like is hard to understand but makes it even worse i think that part of the idea with the dobostort is that you get a soak from the top and the bottom like part of the layers being so thin is that you start getting just some some blurring between the or it saturates yeah i think it's supposed to be soft Mm -hmm. it looks it looks like a good one is delicious i would say like from all because I, I did look at a lot of them online to figure out if I wanted to make one but then I decided to make the yeast cake to try out my bun pan um and this <laughs> one yeah I mean it was it was just gonna be it was gonna be a lot of work but I was gonna make something like Martha makes which is she makes a chocolate and salted caramel dobos tort and she makes hers chess themed which was a bad idea um because mm-hmm. she's a lovely young woman talented baker Kind of the polar opposite of, you know how we always talk about how Louis is so precise and so good at decoration. She's sort of really not. Every it always is very clumsy, which is it's fair. She's seventeen, and you know. But out of the chessboard, that clumsiness is yeah. sort of fatal, yeah. right? Like a chessboard is inherently sharp lines, sharp edges, black and white, and hers being sort of sloppy, <laughs> sort of droopy at the edges, it makes it look like a Salvador Dali painting, yeah. you know, like the melting clocks. It's like that for a chessboard. And then Mary also calls out that her caramel chess pieces are just poured into a store-bought yeah. mold, right? Like that she's not demonstrating any skills in her sugar work, which is the whole point of the sugar yeah. work. I had the thought that it felt like like you took acid at a chess competition and then an earthquake happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's how, how Dally does the yeah. things. But I, I love Martha. She's great. I, yeah, I always feel bad sort of criticizing her stuff. Well, everybody's stuff, to be honest. Well, it's also, they are really talented. Like the six people left they now. Are. It's, yeah. It's like, they're unbelievably talented. Like, I think up to this point, it was, like, very clear that everybody else on the show was going to go at some point. But this last six, it feels like it could be anybody's It does game. feel like it could be any... Someone could have, like, a bad day, and then that's that. And, mm-hmm. in fact, I always forget who ends up... I remember one person who ends up in the... Two people who end up in the top three, but it's... Yeah. Um, and so Chetna makes an almond liqueur double tort with chocolate caramel buttercream... Which, chocolate caramel buttercream just sounds so good. Although you're not a buttercream fan. No. Oh, but you're a chocolate buttercream fan. That's the distinction. No other flavors but but chocolate. (laughs) I think I would try a salted caramel buttercream. And I really do want to make Swiss meringue buttercream and see. I think that would be fine. Sort of more marshmallowy and less butter on the tongue. Butter and undissolved powdered sugar. So Chetna does uh, this thing where she dips... Uh, she oils up grapes and then dips yeah. them in hot caramel, yeah. lets it harden, then pops the grape out. Um, and Mary loves that. She says it's, it's really clever. People are going to be, as just as everyone's going to be copying that, like after this episode airs. Paul was, is really fixated in everyone's judging on the caramel decorations thing. Like, again, it's like it was really important, mm-hmm. apparently. Um, and so he likes on Chetna's that there's so much. Yeah. Like, she has so many different caramel decorations. It, it, to me, looks a little bit excessive, but Paul's really into it. It is a little excessive. It's, you know, if you look at a normal Dobos tort, the one that I was considering making, or like a lot of them that I saw, essentially you take your top layer of cake and you coat that in caramel. So it's not just like a random mm. shard. It's like it would be edible because you'd be eating it with the cake layer and then you slice it up mm. and then you use it kind of as shard decorations. 
Which is fine, but it's not 87 different kinds of sugar work. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's just a little over the top. It's always hard to say what Paul's going to enjoy and what he's going to find over the top, to be honest. But, I mean, I did think the grape thing was really smart. And then, yeah, poor Kate only does hazelnut spikes. And she'd set out to do a lot of them in a way that I think mm. would have been fine. But ta- because of time and because, like, you only get, like, so long to work with your caramel once it's at the temperature yeah. you need to work at it with. Um, yeah. She's not able to make that many hazelnut spikes. And then she gets dinged for not having enough caramel, blah, blah. But if you look at, like, a regular dobo store, just to go back to that, there's only that one instance of the caramel work. But you would, I mean, you would incorporate it into other parts, I guess. So she should have put her, some of hers into part of the cake or the icing between the layers, which she did not. The way they explained it is just that it was like a really important part of the judging criteria and that they had laid that out in the brief is that they wanted to see a variety of, of sugar work and caramel decorations. Um, something I had not really thought about until watching this episode is how much space it takes up to do sugar work. You know, like they all need to lay out across their whole bench. Like, you know, all the sugar work has to dry, right? A lot of, and a lot of it needs space to stretch or like, as you're saying, like Kate, she didn't have you don't have that much time with the caramel being at the right temperature. But then also she was like literally running out of bench space, just laying out pistachio stabs. Yeah. And then, you know, some of them were drooping in the heat, like, cause the room was too warm. Right? So yeah. they didn't get to like harden the right shape. And yeah, it just, it felt like really in ideal circumstances to be doing this kind of sugar work, but they all had to manage it. In the end, the question becomes uh, Kate or Richard. Yeah. And it essentially comes down to that where Richard has a worse cake, like in the center, uh, but he did all this elaborate sugar work. And then Kate has the better cake in the middle, um, but she failed on like half of the brief in like their opinion, right? Is to them the sugar work was important and she didn't do enough of it. Paul and Mary like really, really disagree with mm. each other. And apparently it's like very contentious. Um, at the very end, the way Paul puts it is like, we had a little bit of a tip, yeah. which I, I don't know. I feel like he, he sounds a little bit stunned himself. Like I, I get the impression that he, the way I imagine it is that he was shocked by Mary's like vigor, like that they had like a real argument and he was stunned by it. He was like, I had no idea Mary would ever like fight me this way. I wonder if this is around the time there was apparently a period where Mary got annoyed at Paul because Paul split up with his wife and started dating a much younger server from the local pub. <laughs> I thought that was during series four. Yeah, it might have been. So you're right. Maybe, I mean, this could still be like like the long tail of that, you know, like that the hangover period from that conflict. I think about Richard's cake. I love Richard, so I'm glad. Anyway, I love Richard. Is anyone going to eat that sugar nest? No, right. Like, and no one's going to eat the sugar bird either, right? You like, you break your teeth on what it. What I don't understand. So Mary Berry hates an inedible decoration, but so much of sugar work is inedible decoration. She hates a literally inedible yeah. decoration. <laughs> She's fine with a technically edible decoration. I'm not. If I ever end up judging something, of the, I mean, that's yeah. I'll have to work very hard to overcome my sugar work bias. 
I would rather eat Kate's based on those two descriptions. Um, and, and Kate's sugar work is totally yeah. edible, right? You could eat those yeah. pistachio spikes. They're, they'd be delicious. Yeah. yeah, so what's decided in the end is that no one will go home this week, that everyone gets to stay because it's because they just could not agree it was a true draw. And that Chetna is the star baker, which is really, really, yeah. really exciting. It's a nice star baker moment. Yes. In kind of like a, not an underdog, not not at all an underdog, but um, and not an upset, but what happens when like a, a, a silent surprise horse wins a race? I think it was like we were very focused on who's going home with this group, that we kind of lost sight of... Like, in the the way the episode was edited. Yeah, Yeah. we lost sight of who's done well. Um, And it was really nice to see Jenna succeed. It was also nice that none of them them left, I think. Because these are all people I want to see bake bake at least one more time. And I'm really glad we get to. Thank you, Diana, for (laughs) setting up the conditions for this to happen. Paul said they weighed, like, sending them both home. And I was like, well, what would you do with the rest of the season then? The producers are probably like, Paul, Mary, let's take a step back and think yeah. about our other options. But, I mean, effectively, does this mean in, in a way that this episode didn't matter at all or no? Yes. In in a meta sense of the game, it made it not matter. Um, but I think I think it had a very strong impact on, well, like definitely on Chedna, but also I think on Richard and Kate. Like, I think Richard feels like he dodged a bullet and now he has you know, the chance to redeem himself and pull himself back up. And Kate, I think, feels like angry and chastened in a way that I think for for her could be very motivating. Yeah. I think if it were me, it would be sort of defeating and despairing. Yeah. Um, but but I think she, she could be motivated by that anger, I think. Mm-hmm. It is a bummer, though. Like, everyone who's left is super talented. And so it's a tough situation. Because it's going to be slightly heartbreaking for whoever does end up getting sent mm-hmm. home next. Mm-hmm. But I do think the types of benefits that come from being on this show, I think probably everyone who's left will get those benefits at this point. Oh, like, yeah. I, I would assume anyone watching the show up to this point would want to give any of them, like, a cookbook contract or a loan to open their little bakery or mm-hmm. anything like that. Invitation to bake for a celebrity, etc. <laughs> Oh, the other funny thing that happens this episode is that Nancy calls Paul the male judge for the first time. Yes, I can't believe we didn't talk about that. Uh, She forgets his name for a second. I think she's too irate to mention his name because he badmouthed her cake so much. She puts it as, I forgot his name for a second, but I think she's being sarcastic. Yeah. But yeah, it's another, it's an iconic moment. It's an iconic season, really, actually, honestly. There are a lot of the sort of like GBBO iconic moments happen on this season. Yeah, I forgot that about the season, that there's there's a lot of drama and a lot of the, the memeable moments happen in the season. Two Mixers Lewis. All righty, we should sign <laughs> off. We should. Um, this has been The Rough Puffs. Uh, your hosts are Andrea Bennett and Kim Fu. You can find us on Twitter at Rough Puffs or on Instagram at The Rough Puffs. Uh, We also both write books. Andrea's latest is an essay collection called Like a Boy But Not a Boy. And my latest is a story collection called Lesser Known Monsters of the 21st Century. We both like long titles. Yeah. (laughs) They're easier to Google. Good job, everyone. I'm so glad no one has to get go, get go, get go, get go. I'm so glad no one has to get go. Get go, get go. Oh, no. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.